Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, if you've been following along for the last few weeks, um, you heard me talk about wanting to change the name of the show. I've been toying with it now for several years, um, thinking about changing it to Days in the Wild uh, to match my guiding service and be the same as my old TV show, uh, mainly for marketing purposes, keeping it simple. Also, uh, I think it, it, uh, it scares away a few people with the name sounds a little pretentious. Uh, I did a poll and actually most of you guys told me to keep it the same. Uh, I think over 65 or closer to 70% of the people told me to keep it the same. Um, but not that I'm not listening to you. I'm just, it's, it's, I've gone back and forth. There was enough people, you know, 35 or 40% somewhere around there that, um, that said to go ahead and change it and thought it was a good idea. So, um, I, I, th- I think coming up here in uh, first part of April, we are the name change will change over so from now till then. But the the contents of the show, the you know the structure, the format of it, ha- what have you, will all stay the same. Um, I'm not going to make it too commercialized like a lot of these other podcasts that you're listening to. Um, trying to keep the uh, you know the <laughs> advertisements to a minimum and um and just have one or two sponsors for the for the whole podcast and not um, bombard you with a bunch of uh crap so we're gonna like i said roll out probably first week of april uh as the new name change so uh if you see that change happen um don't get scared it's still here we're still here for you so uh, without further ado, we're going to roll into this next episode, and we appreciate all your uh, your patronage over the last, uh, well, 10 years, 11 years now, 11 seasons we've been doing this. So I uh, really appreciate you, and um, we'll keep them coming. Thanks a lot. Hi, welcome to Interviews with the Hunting Master, brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Uh, this episode is going to be the last episode of interviews with the hunting masters and from here on out we're going to be called days in the wild so um just changing the name of the episode changing the name of the podcast nothing's going to change really the format's going to stay the same still going to bring you the same content so uh but this will be the last episode of interviews with the hunting masters and from here on out will be days in the wild uh today we're going to talk a little bit about bow tuning and we got chris dunlap with us on the phone or on the on Skype actually, uh, and uh, we're gonna, you know, pick his brain a little bit and see uh, how he does things. What's going on, Chris? Uh, not a lot. Just uh, <laughs> trying to keep uh, keep up with all the customer orders. <laughs> That's a good problem to have, man. That's, it is. It is. Uh, one of our main things that we build are footers, and we get a lot of orders for those from all over the world. Actually, and it's kind of nice. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, so before we jump into questions, why don't you give us a little rundown about yourself and uh, what you do and um, talk about how you fit into the puzzle. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, I started bow hunting 20 years ago, I think it was. A friend of mine got me into it. I'd been a rifle hunter before that. I actually didn't start hunting until I was 18. My dad never took me. didn't have any exposure to it. It was high school friends. They got me into it. And it escalated pretty quickly to where I just couldn't get enough. Like I started out with one deer season in Oregon with a rifle, and I just it wasn't enough. And so 
you know, I had to start researching what else I could hunt. And then another friend of mine got me into bow hunting and I've kind of been bow hunting or I've been bow hunting ever since with very few rifle hunts scattered in between there. Um, but as far as what, what we do and kind of how I got into it. So what we are, Elk River Archery is the name of my shop. And what we really focus on is tuning a bow, a hunting bow specifically, kind of like the guys who make money with target shooting tune their bows. Like it's not just, it's not just, Hey, this is good enough. Oh, here, go into a shop and Hey, I do this. Oh, I got to adjust for broadheads, my sight for broadheads. You know, that's not good enough. What we want is we want everybody to get the max potential out of their bow. And it's not just the bow. It's also the arrows too. So we kind of do a combination. I explain it to people like we build custom loads like you do for a rifle, but we're doing it for archery. Um, and a lot of that has to do with structural integrity. That's one of the, the number one keys to um, penetration and to be lethal is you've got to have structural integrity to everything. So my history in tuning, I was your standard guy. I go to the shop, hey, hand it to somebody. Here, tune this up for me. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know any better um, until I finally found a shop. There was one guy in that shop that started explaining things to me. And every time I had him work on a bow, I just shot better. Right. And I didn't have to adjust for stuff. And so then it was like, well, there's this whole other realm. Let's start looking into it. And I'm one of those people when I dive into something, I kind of dive in pretty hard. I know I, there's a lot I still have to learn. I am by no means a master, <laughs> but um, I'm very OCD and and kind of anal, so to speak, when it comes to setting stuff up. And have figured out what really works. And I'm also one of those guys, if it's not working the way it's supposed to, why isn't it? And I'll dive in. And through our shop, that's what we offer people that can come in is it's a one-on-one. -on -one. You're not just another customer mingling around the shop. You're paying us by the hour and it's just me and you. And we work through everything from your form to your arrow setup to adjusting stuff as deep as the customer wants to go. I mean, a basic bow setup uh, which for us, even a basic bow setup is not your standard setup. So that's kind of uh, what we do. Uh, you know, besides mentioning the footers earlier, we build our arrows a little different. Everything is just, I don't want to say higher quality because that's not really the right. It's just more attention to detail, more attention to detail. That's, that's, that's a good way to put it. Yes. Yeah. So there's kind of the introduction to me and, <laughs> How we got started. My two boys work in the shop with me. Right now, they're my arrow builders. They build my footers. You know, um, I do have a full-time job that I do, and this is my part-time job. Right. Uh, but it's kind of more like a full-time job. I work Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> so yeah. I work after work. I, and, I know that gig very well. I know that gig very well. We get people sending their bows in from all over the U.S. I don't think I've had one come in from outside the U.S. yet, but, um, you know, and, and we'll do that. I always prefer the customer can be here, and we'll get into that more later about being able to tune the bow specifically to the customer. Yeah, that would be huge. Um, real quick, because you've mentioned it twice now. You, you, you said you build footers. I yes. know people don't know what that means. Go ahead and explain to us what a footer is. Okay, so a footer is a glue-on sleeve that you put on the end of your arrow where your insert is. Um, I started doing this specifically because I really like the Easton Axis arrows, okay. but if my arrow was going to have a problem, 
it was always that end where the hit insert was and that half inch, you know, where it would break or mushroom out. It just was a problem. And I didn't come up with this idea. I saw traditional guys doing it all the time. They called, you know, it was footing your arrow. So they called them footers. Um, they were cutting down aluminum shafts and, and, and gluing them on. Um, and so we tested several different things and I'll be straight up honest with everybody. We cut down aluminum shafts. I've never denied that, but that's also why our price can be so cheap. And what you're paying for is not just us to cut those down and send them to you, but it's all the research that went into, I can build them for almost every arrow on the market at this point. Um, there's some I can't because there's just not an arrow that's close enough to it. But you know, most arrows on the market we can, we can adjust the length. We tell customers, so just, it's $24 a dozen shipped in the United States for, you know, for the footers. I can make them anywhere from three quarters of an inch to two and a half inches for that same price, depending on what you want. Um, and, you know, and it's just all flexible with what guys want, how many grains they want. But the footer really adds that structural integrity. And it's not just the Eastern Axis arrows. It adds it to other arrows as well. I know there's some good products out there. Iron Will makes a collar. Um, Bill, the owner of Iron Will, um, you know, I've know I know him pretty well. Him and I talked. Um, I actually made him some footers back in the day, and uh, you know, I happened to mention one day about collars to him, and he already had a prototype designed and stuff because I was thinking about branching into the collars. Uh, you know, so that's cool. He already had his thing going. Um, but there's some advantages to the footers that I see. Um, one big thing is is structural integrity because of having to glue them on. That glue, that epoxy, adds structural integrity that even a good collar that's not glued on won't give you because there's a little bit of movement. And as soon as you get that little bit of movement, you start losing, you know, the possibility for your structural integrity. Um, the other thing is like, if you're using a hit insert, you can still square the end of those arrows even more for people that want to index broadheads. Um, okay. even though you don't really have to, you still can't, you can sand that down, get a good squaring tool and the aluminum and the carbon will, will sand down together and you can still index your broadheads. Um, and there's also less contact points for things to become out of, you know, out of straight or out of square. Um, just as an example, this isn't a pick on ethics. Ethics is another company that makes great stuff, but when you glue their insert in, you've got the arrow surface and then the insert surface. Mm-hmm. That's one. So that's, you know, two contact points or one, however you want to look at it. Then you've got to slide the collar over it. Then you, so that you've got two more and then you've got to put the broadhead on. You, so you're compounding these. And if any one of those is out of straightness, right? you now have something that wobbles, even though the arrow might still spin straight, that, that broadhead's wobbling a little bit. Right. right. So those, that's kind of my sales pitch, so to speak, but that's, you know, that's what we do and it's pretty basic and guys, you can go find your own size aluminum arrows and cut them down yourself and square them. You know, again, we, we cut everything, we square everything, we bevel everything, um, and ship it out to the customer with instructions. So awesome. That's what the footers are. Sweet. Um, so before we jump into the tuning, I, I wanted to ask you this cause this is a question that always gets asked to me and I just figured I'd ask you it. Um, what are some of the things besides the specs of the bow, because that's always the thing that's, oh, I want this one because it's got 700 feet per second and <laughs> you know, this and that. But what besides the specs, what are some of the things that guys should be looking at, girls should be looking at when choosing a bow? 
So, you know, specs are obviously super important. We all know that. But beyond that, I would say, you know, you need to look at the type of hunting you're doing. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, guys back east are going to claim, well, they want a shorter axle to axle bow. You know, they're, not, they're only shooting 20 yards. Um, you know, they don't have to hold the bow, so they don't really care how heavy it is. Versus guys that are going to be going on hunts, uh, you know, even even like, or let's take Oregon. I don't really do backcountry. I've done it a couple times. But after a month of hunting with lugging around a nine-pound bow, you know, your shoulder starts getting tired after a month of that. And that's not going every day. That's going like every weekend and lugging that around for 10 or 12 miles, you know. So weight and, and getting the proper weight, like you don't want to bow that's super light because you can't hold as well in the wind. But, you know, it's looking at things like weight. It's also looking at things like don't necessarily go out and buy the bow as soon as it comes out. You're going to want to look at reviews down the line from guys that have tuned them. Is there vertical knock travel issues? Is there horizontal knock travel issues? Are they having trouble getting them to, to tune in general? You know, um, I mean, it's great if you want to go buy one right off the bat. I've done that before. And then come to find out a perfect example is the Hoyt Defiant series with the number two cam. Mm -hmm. Had horrible knock travel issues. And there was a lot of them that just wouldn't tune at least right. You know, most of them had to be running really, really knock high. Um, and it just, you know, it, it just wasn't a good system. So Hoyt came out with the 2.1 cam. But, you know, it, it's those kind of things that if you can kind of wait for some of those reviews, pick them out. The other thing I tell people, too, is don't look at what the bow costs necessarily. Now we all kind of have an idea, but the best thing to do is literally just line up five bows and just shoot them without any prejudice. Different brands, doesn't matter. Just leave the prejudice at the door. Stop thinking that Hoyt's always going to be the best or Matthew's always going to be the best. Get rid of that notion. Like it, There is no best. Everybody makes a great bow. What is best for you in the situation you're in and what you're going to be hunting? You know, and then what feels best, what anchors best, you know, get it to your draw length. Oh, this one holds really well. It anchors. The draw length feels better than the other one, you know, and get that real feel to it and kind of go from there. So that's really the best I've got. You know, specs are super important, to, uh, you know, especially to me. I always look at first thing I always look at is axle to axle. I've learned over the years. I'm six foot three, so I'm not a I'm not a small guy. Um oh. And I've tried to shoot those short bows because I got caught up in it early on. You know, I got to have this 28-inch bow or I got to have this 30-inch bow. I have serious torque issues. Serious okay. torque issues. Even shooting, I have a 31.5 to 32-inch draw, but even going down to 30 inches in shooting, I have horrible torque issues with those shorter axle-axle bows. And it's cost me several animals in the years I was really stubborn. Now I'm looking for, you know, a longer axle-axle bow. And that's the other thing people got to look at is what's your draw length? And, you know, what's that string angle going to be like? Is my head in a natural position? Those are all things to consider when buying a bow. You want your head as upright and natural as possible. You don't want to have to fight, you know, and really tilt your head down to go see, to see that peak because the string angle is so steep. You know, you want a better string angle to it. So those are all things that are really important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you're looking that you're looking down through the peep, you, yeah. you don't same range, you don't, you know, it's. It could cause a lot of issues for sure. Um, cool. Thanks for that insight. I, um, I'm i with you. I do the same thing like when I'm trying to help guys find the bow. Now, 
I've been with Matthews for 20 years, so I shoot a Matthews no matter what. Uh, but that doesn't mean every bow that comes out that, you know, Matthews comes out with, I'm, I'm in love with. I'm not, you know, and they know that. I give them yeah. my feet. Um, but there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that when a guy gets, you know, gets yeah. sponsored. What, but what I hate is the brand bashing. You can oh yeah for 20 years and still, or Matthews, excuse me, and still go, you know what? Hoyt put out a nice bow this year. PSE right. put an out, out a nice bow this year. It's the guys that it's just like, it's going to be the best no matter what. And it's like, well, okay, you're not being objective at all. <laughs> Matthews gets the worst out of all of them. It's the, there's more like memes out there running around about Matthews or whatever than, than any other bow company. But, well, uh, maybe, unless you look at the, the blow tech, you know, uh, there's a lot of memes <laughs> for <laughs> limbs blowing, blowing up with bow tech. But no, I, I, I try not to be uh, biased. I mean, I, I definitely have my preferences and, uh, yeah. you know, I shot that bow for so long. All of Matthew's bow ha- bows have a certain feel to them. Just like Hoyt all have a certain feel. Like for me, like the riser on a bow, like you could feel that style. Yeah. They do something completely, completely different, which doesn't really happen, you know, too, too often really anymore. But, um, anyway, um, so take me through your steps for you're getting your initial tune, your initial paper tune or your initial tune that you do on the bow. Okay. Well, this might, this will, this will take a little bit maybe. <laughs> Cause like I said, my, my, everything's a little different with what we do, but so we're going to start out, obviously somebody brings me a brand new bow, right? Let, we can say, let's start with a brand new bow. Cause the tuning process is the same, but a bare bow has nothing on it. Right. So, very first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to check axle to axle. I'm going to check poundage. Where are we at? Just kind of want to see where that is. The next thing I'm going to do that I think is overlooked a lot, and it will become more important as we walk through the steps, is I'm going to check your uh, string stop. Is the string stop pushing against the string? Is it not? The reason that becomes important because the very next step, I put it in my bow vise, and I level the bow off the string. If the string stops pushing on it, you're not getting a true level. So I make sure that string stop is about a, you know, maybe a credit card thickness, maybe half a credit card thickness away from the string. They don't have to be touching. Right. Um, so from there, you know, I'm going to level the string up. I'm going to grab the rest, whatever the customer's brought me or buys from me, and I'm going to put it on, but I'm also going to use a level on that rest to make sure that it is sitting level on the bow. And there'll be a couple other places I check level as well, but that's, you know, the initial step to getting that on. Um, the sights I usually don't put on right away because I actually like to set the peep height without the sight on. So okay. from there, once the rest is on, I'm going to put an arrow on the rest. I'm going to get the arrow level. I'm going to cut a piece of D-loop material. I'm going to tie the top D-loop on but leave it somewhat loose so I can slide it up and down without damaging the serving. Okay. And I'm going to get the arrow perfectly level with the bottom of the arrow through the center of the burger hole 95% of the time. Unless I know a specific manufacturer seems to like an arrow running different than that, I've always found that the bottom of the arrow through the center of the burger hole is my best starting point. Okay. Because um, the burger hole is supposed to be center of the bow, but for some reason I've always found that that bottom of that arrow seems being through there has ran better and, and given us better tunes. Uh, from there, I'm going to tie on knock points. And then I'm going to finish the D-loop. So that arrow's sitting level um, on the bow, D-loop's on. 
one key on the D loop. If you're doing this at home, do not crank on that D loop with a pair of D loop pliers. If you crank too hard, you're going to separate that center serving. And once you start separating that center serving, you're going to start getting peep rotation that you don't want. And it'll just get worse and worse. Likewise, don't ever let anybody move your D loop up and down by twisting it up and down the, the, the center serving that will separate it as well. It's just not a good idea. So I always uh, start it because the D loops are kind of short start, right? I start with a pair of needle nose. I get it towards long enough that I can actually stick it in my draw board because I'm going to walk straight over to the draw board and I'm going to uh, put it in the draw board and we're going to check cam timing. Along with that, once I've seen where the cam timing is, assuming it's off, I'm going to pull it out of the press and I'm going to check my cam lean because that's going to help me decide as I'm changing my cam timing or cam sync is really what it is. The cam sync at that point is what we're changing. Um, how to adjust everything to get the cam lean where I want it. Uh, you know, on a lot of bows, especially the, the floating yoke bows, like, you know, now Hoyt has, I want that top cam to be running as straight as possible. That's where I found the best, the best tune. Uh, I guess one step I should have put in there earlier too, when that arrow's on there and I get it level, I also get my center shot right where I want it. And I start out um, at 13 sixteenths is what most guys are going to say. I actually have a hard ruler that goes in 30 seconds of an inch. Mm -hmm. So 26, 30 seconds is where I want the center of my arrow as my general starting point. That should be running square through the bow. Um, so then we're going to start adjusting our cam sync to get it correct. I'm going to go back and put it in the bow vise after I have that adjusted correctly. And I'm going to check my arrow level again, because as we move a cam, that D loop starts to move. That okay. changes, right? So I'm going to go back, check my D loop. If my D loop is off or my arrow is now running unlevel, I may see if I can adjust the rest to a good point. But if I had to make a lot of adjustment, I'll cut the D loop off, I'll cut the knock sets off, and I'll retie it in where it needs to be. Um, again, there's no sliding that D loop up and down, oh. uh, you know, that, that center serving, and it's just cut it off and, and put a new one on. Um, and once that's all set, once that's all done, cams are synced, you know, I know the bow's making its poundage, its axle to axle is correct. I've got the cam lean where I want it, um, provided it has yokes, so I can adjust that or adjust it, you know, with the, like a flexus or whatever else that you can, you know, can use to adjust some of that stuff. <clears throat> um, I'll go have the customer, and usually the customer's here, so I will have the customer shoot it through paper for the first time with a fletched arrow. Okay. And then we'll make adjustments from there if we need to. Um and so then once we've got a bullet hole with a fletched arrow, we're going to move to a bear shaft or okay. shoot a bear shaft through paper. Um, and oh. this is all kind of part of my standard tune. Okay. Uh, I want to see what the bear shaft does. Does the bear shaft have a tear that we didn't see in the fletched? If it does, we're going to make those adjustments. And the adjustments are the exact same as a fletched arrow. It okay. just gives you a better idea of is that hole really perfect or not from there you know once that's all set i'm how, usually going to tell how far back do you do this sorry on, on the uh bear shaft how far back uh, through paper it's you're three to five feet okay all right so 
Um, from there, I'm going to have the customer go shoot it for a while. Now, if guys want to get even more in depth than that, which some of my customers do, some of my customers are happy to stop there. They're like, let me go, sh- let me take it home. Let me shoot it. Let me shoot some broadheads through it. Let's see how it goes. Generally speaking, when we've done that basic tune, most people don't ever have to adjust anything for broadheads. Which, by the way, let me step back a little bit. If we get a left or a right tear through paper so people understand the adjustment, that's not moving the rest. If we have a left or a right tear, we're adjusting yokes or I'm shimming cams and moving cams around. I don't want to take my rest out of center shot just because I have a bad tear, which seems to be the go-to for a lot of people. Um, and then, of course, once I've got my cam lean right and stuff, I do want to check my center shot again. And it's kind of finessing working those in. The hard part is sometimes with, with all tuning is how good is the customer's form as well. Because it, a lot of it depends on what's their form. So I'm watching not only what the bow looks like at full draw. I'm watching how well does it fit their draw length. You know, how much cheek pressure do they have into it? What's their palm look like? So I'm really trying to capture a lot of stuff all at once so we can understand why it's not producing a perfect hole when the arrow's running square and pretty much level and the cams are, you know, synced um, as well. So there's really a lot going on and you've got to pay attention to a lot of stuff because it's not just a blanket, oh, I have a right tear and automatically I need to go adjust my rest or hey, I need to put twists in the right yoke. It could also be somebody's torquing the bow really bad. And that's where we start talking to the customer like, okay, I can adjust this out for you, but it's taking your bow out of tune really because of a form issue. You know, So can we work on the form a little bit and see what happens? Um, but if guys want to go more in depth with the tuning, we will walk, well, we'll start out inside at about uh, – five or six feet and we'll shoot a fleshed arrow we'll shoot a bear shaft side by side what's that contact look like is one crossing the other up down um, if five feet doesn't produce much we'll go outside and we'll do it at 15 feet and from there depending on how the arrow impacts the target versus the fleshed arrow we make adjustments even more adjustments to get those flying correctly um, but this really gets into a harder part bear shaft tuning and shooting you really got to have your form spot on if your form's not spot on if you have any sort of torque that you're inducing the fleshed arrow is obviously going to correct faster the other one's not going to correct and you're going to get these weird impacts so that's where a lot of guys don't you know their form might not be there to shoot a bear shaft at at distance right so but yeah that's kind of uh that's the real fast <laughs> rundown. And we can get into specifics about how to adjust stuff if we need to. But, you know, ultimately what I want to see in the best tunes that I've seen, the most forgiving tunes I've seen, are arrows that run as close to level as possible through this, you know, square off the bow with the cams, you know, synced or timed, however you want to call it. I generally like the bottom to hit just a little bit before the top. For me, the bows don't feel as jumpy, but I always ask the customer how it feels. I know there's some target archers that want to have the top hit first because it, the bow feels like they're holding more weight and they feel like they can hold a little steadier because they're pulling a little harder into it because that top's hitting first. 
Um, and that goes back into that jumpy feeling. Okay. For bow hunters, I kind of like that bottom touching. And when I say, I mean, we're talking slightly, like sixteenth of an inch. You know, we're not talking a lot um, there, but you know, that's. And again, we're. I'm assuming there's multiple draw stops, one on each cam that you can check that, right? Um, but yeah, that's kind of a. That's kind of the rundown. Cool. I had like two or three questions. I should have wrote them down. I just got <laughs> focused on what you were saying and I forgot them. That's so terrible. Oh, I got to get myself some ginkgo baluba. Um, um, oh, I remember one of the things. So do you ever check, and I had somebody ask me this. Um, I had somebody ask me this and I had another guy say that he does this. Do you ever check the level of the arrow at full draw? Um, no, generally speaking, I, well, I can say I never have. Mm-hmm. Part of that is, is making sure that the bow's level at full draw. I mean, I guess I could in my draw board, if I took a level and made sure that it was, you know, like the, the, the limbs mm-hmm. were sitting level and then check the level of the arrow. Um, but no, I really don't do that. I, I haven't really found a need for that yet. Um, I guess maybe if the bow that has a lot of vertical knock travel, mm. it, it may become more of an issue. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and I think I think it was – I'm trying to remember who. It was actually a trad guy that that said he doesn't even mess with mess with uh, leveling it, uh, you know, a static, but he would measure it on a draw board and make it make sure that they'll that it was level in the string I full draw basically huh you know that's it's just something i've never done and maybe i will for fun you know try it um curious to see because i I, everybody i've spoke to and you seem like you tinker a lot i i even asked tim gillingham if he did it or not he hadn't done it but um (laughs) just curious if to see if that was if that was uh, a thing so yeah. far, I haven't found it to be. But <laughs> well, and I can I can add a couple more points here too. Um, that your tune also can be a little dependent on how well your arrows are built. You okay. know, that's yeah. another thing. I mean, what ninety percent of the guys or ninety five percent of the guys that go in and buy arrows from a shop that they're not going to build themselves, they watch the shop just throw them on the cutter, cut one end off and insert them and they're done they're not ran through a squaring tool number one they're never spun before they're cut to see if there's a wobble on the knock end um they're never even if they do square the one end they cut from they don't go back and square the knock end and those are all things i think are really important um that go into tune as well and some of that can go into broadhead flight some go into flyers i mean there's a whole rabbit hole we can get down with the arrows too on this um but, you know, again, that's all stuff that I think is really important. So when we build arrows, we spin every dozen, pull the knocks out, we spin every one of them. If it's wobbling on the knock end, we cut from that end, you know, um, until we've got that wobble cut out, and then we'll go cut from the other end. Um, and we square every arrow both ends every time. And, and, and what I found is that starts eliminating the need for knock tuning. When the arrows square... You know, sometimes you still have to, but with the Easton axis, so after doing hundreds of dozens and, and um, you know, tuning people's bows with them, 
what I found is probably one in 24 arrows when they're built like that will need the knock spun a little bit to actually knock tune all the arrows. Okay. So then I think that's a pretty good statistic. Oh yeah. Uh, for sure. You know, when, when you take a normal arrow and start trying to knock tune it, you know, see how many you've got to adjust. But going back to tuning, there was something I kind of skipped over and that was the sight. I said, Oh, I don't usually put the sight yeah. on yet because of the peak. Um, I also like to install the peep pretty early on um, before I really even crank the D loop down just so I can kind of get, you know, I'll have to guesstimate where it needs to be, but so I can get it in the string and get that twist that's going to happen in that string, you know, set so that as I crank that D loop down a little bit with the drawboard, and that was the other part of that is I let the drawboard, I let the drawing motion crank the D loop down. I don't need a pair of pliers to just crank on it. I've seen too many times people do that and they, they separate the center serving. I've done it myself several times when I was early on in doing this. You know, you get your D-loop pliers and you, oh, I want to crank it down, make sure it's really tight. And then I have to cut it off to adjust for something. And I'm like, why is the center serving already separated right there? You know, then I got to go replace somebody's center serving, which <laughs> isn't always the most fun. But we get the peep in. Once the bow's shooting really well, what I'll have people do is I have them draw back, I have them do their natural anchor, and then I make them close their eyes before they ever put their head down towards the string. Any of that is just get your anchor, whatever it is, close your eyes, then go to your other points. So if the point's corner of your mouth, tip of your nose, go find those. Now open your eye. Are you seeing directly through that peep? Perfectly clear right through that peep. Nope. Okay. We move it, move it, move it until they're seeing that every time eyes closed draw back you know however you want to do it but when that final anchor gets set in and everything's just feels really good you open your eye you're seeing clearly through that peep from there we put the sight on now we adjust the sight housing to match you shouldn't have to be moving your head around to find the sight housing and what a lot of guys do is that sight housing gets put on there the sights on there they get a peep put on and they naturally even though you tell them not to they naturally want to go find that housing so you see them start moving their head just slightly They're like, oh, here, there, you know. No, you want natural head position, what is really, really comfortable. And and that's really how a peep should be set and the sight should go on after. And then you just make everything match from there. Where's the housing? Where's my pins? Nice. So. Yeah, I do very similar. Um, even before I draw back, I close my eyes completely, draw back with my eyes closed and just feel all my points, and then I yep. open my eye for it. And you can do it that way. Some of my customers get a little nervous drawn back with their eyes closed for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. So. Um, cool. So now, I, I guess you kind of started getting into this. So now the, the bow is paper-tuned. Yep. We'll, we'll call it paper-tuned. Um, what Aside from the peep, what are some of the other things that you do to fit the archer to, to, or you know get, to make make the bow fit them basically well as part of the tuning again i'm looking at everything so i'm looking at their anchor i'm looking at their face pressure i'm also looking at their draw length does the draw length look too long and i'll tell people look your draw length's too long or maybe you need to go up a little bit we'll measure draw length you know can i lengthen it or shorten it a quarter of an inch to get it to fit them better so that their anchor points are better, you know, so, so it's not back here, it's up against the corner of the mouth, tip of the nose type thing, which is kind of the general standard of where a lot of guys want to see it. Um, you know, and then hand torque, 
you know, how, how's their hand torquing the bow? Is there too much pressure on it? And so it's really working more through the form and minor adjustments um, than it is really doing something major to get it to fit the customer um, per se, if that makes sense. Do you do any like walk back tuning or anything like that? Or uh, We will if we feel like we really need to, but generally speaking, for most customers, especially if we get the bear shafts flying good at five feet in the shop or whatever, there hasn't been that need. Um, okay. But somebody that just their form's not great, I you know we will try walk back tuning. Um, but again, it doesn't happen that often. And when the form's not great, walk back tuning is kind of hard too because if you think about torquing your bow or not paying attention to that level on your sight, then you know your pins are going one way or the other and you know you're going to start getting well why is i'm 40 yards or 50 yards is my arrows impacting different well your bow's not level so those pins aren't sitting <laughs> you know where that 20 pin was because you naturally have this tendency to hold a little bit right or a little bit left um or just torque i had one customer great guy bought a new bow his form looks great but what for whatever reason the shape of his hand he has horrible torque issues okay and so him and i have had to try and find workarounds for that while keeping the bow as close to in tune as possible um and the other thing people should realize is just because you shoot a bullet hole i get this all the time i was at the shop and my bow shooting a perfect bullet hole and we're great but i'm having to adjust for broadheads and they come in and i'm like well can i look at your bow real quick we start looking at things it's way out of tune arrows running way left and downhill or uphill i mean some of it's crazy i can make any bow shoot a bullet hole you know right but it doesn't mean it's right and that's where i keep going back to bows are bows are made the manufacturers are engineering these things for that arrow to run as level as possible and right through the center of that bow you know square to that bow um so when you got to start running way uphill way down here way left way right you know, to get it shoot a bullet hole, there's there's an issue. You know, something's not correct. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. Spine can play an issue, too. These are all things that have to be looked at. Um, what's funny is, you know, you shoot a bear shaft and, you know, you get a you get a high tear or low tear. It doesn't necessarily mean that the spine of the arrow is off. It's the dynamic reaction of the arrow is off. And how do we play with that? Do we start going up? And so if we have a low tear right but we know the bow is tuned okay let's or should be tuned at least let's look at what we can do let's put some weight on the front of that arrow and see what happens um i've had numerous examples of when we put weight more weight on the front of the arrow instead of just 100 grains you know we jump up to 150 or 200 it corrects that so the dynamic reaction the dynamic spine of that arrow coming off the bow you know it's what it's it's what it likes um in comparison if i have a high tear you start lowering those those head weights and you can start seeing different reactions some of them don't change anything or they start making it worse and that's one of the things so if you really want to check your spine you know because you're worried about it like the bow's right where it should be but it's not shooting a great hole okay let's add some weight and see what it does let's take some weight off and see what it does 
and see if that changes that poll. And is, if it does, is it for the better or is it for the worse? We can start looking at whether we're underspined, um, overspined, or is it just our dynamic spine that's, that's off and we need to look at something else. So, and, and traditional guys do that all the time. They cut their arrows. They'll just keep, you know, they'll change yep. the spine of those arrows by cutting them and cutting them and changing head weight. And again, this goes back to kind of building that custom load, like, like what works, you know, and we try and work. I have a lot of customers. They just want that standard. I'm going to run a hundred grain head and I want my 16 grain hit insert. And that's what I want to run. Okay. I got to try and tune the bow around that. And they're like, and the 340 spine should be fine. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I found it's not always the case. A perfect example is I had an RX1 Ultra. Yeah. So, again, uh, a lot of guys are going to hate me for this, but having a 31 and a half inch draw and shooting 80 pounds, I can shoot a really heavy arrow. Right. But my RX1 Ultra, if you run it through any of the calculators for spine, it would have told you that the Axis 260 was underspined. And especially underspined when I had 216 grains on the front of that arrow. Oh, yeah. That sounds like it. But <laughs> it shot perfect bullet holes. It shot bare shafts perfect. And I could stand back and shoot broadheads at 100 yards, and they would impact with my field points. So it was great. <laughs> I take my RX-3 Ultra, which is essentially the same bow, right? The cams didn't change that much. The speed was still the same. And I couldn't make an Axis 260 spine out of that no matter what I did. No matter how light I went up front, it just flat out wouldn't do it. I adjusted I adjusted the draw length up and down. I mean, I played with a lot of stuff. I had to go to a 200 spine arrow. But if you go look, I think it was on my Instagram page. If you go look at my Instagram page, I have that bow right after it was tuned. Actually, it was my uh, Helix Ultra because I had an RX-3 and a Helix. Um, and at that point, I had the Helix first, so it was my Helix Ultra that I actually was able to shoot a broadhead fletched and a bear shaft field point at 40 yards, and they were sitting about an inch apart at 40 yards with perfect impact angles. The impact angles didn't change. You know, it just shot it shot bear shafts that well. Nice. It was, it, you know, it was amazing, but it had to be a 200 spine, 260, absolutely not. So those two bows that really, they're not really different as far as, you know, your axle, axle, your brace height, the the speeds that they're they're rated for, you know, even the cams weren't that different. So those are the things that don't make sense that you really got to look at in order to do a real in depth. And am I getting the most out of my bow? Yeah, I had a. Not necessarily a similar experience, but I had a wake, uh, Matthew's wake with 80 pound limbs on it. And I was uh, shooting the 200 uh, Kinetic Chaos from Goldtip. And at first, I couldn't get it to do what I wanted it to do. Well, one, I was having a little hard time with the five inch brace height, too. But um, once I learned how to shoot it better, and uh, what I end up doing, like you said earlier, is I, I started shaving off just a little, little itty bit wherever I can on the length of the arrow. And I really, it only took like, I think, less than a half an inch. I didn't really have a whole lot to work with because I was, you know, the collar yeah. was going to come up on the, on the rest and all that stuff. But I really, I got it right to like where the collar would come up to the rest. 
and that was enough. And then all of a sudden, it started with shooting fine. <laughs> it was like that much, like that little bit of change. Yep. I was like, I, you know, I didn't think it was going to work, but it, it worked. So <laughs> yeah, I, was, there's, I, don't, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, shoot rebar out of this thing, because I have, you know, I added weight. I, I tried I tried doing a couple different things, but all it took was me, you know, shaving off that almost a half an inch was basically. And that's kind of that persistence of, okay, why? I mean, that's what I always go back to is I want to know why. Why is this bow not tuning right? Why won't this arrow shoot out of this bow, you know? With the Axis 260s, literally, there was nothing I could do to that bow short of turning the poundage down, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, I tried it, you know, I like I said, I had 216 grains up front. I tried it with 116 grains up front and it didn't matter. Would just would not tune out of the, that bow. So every bow likes something different, and that's where everything's a guideline. Right. These are all guidelines like, OK, generally this should work, but it's not going to work in every case. Some bows like stiffer spine, some bows like weaker spine. It's just kind of how it is. Um, you know, primes are kind of notorious for liking a little bit weaker spined arrow. At least they have been in the past. Um, but it's just kind of how it goes. Cool. I'm curious. So now I'm going to I'm going to be a little selfish now. So, um, well, I guess I'm going to be shooting the VXR. I don't know how much, how many, how many you've tuned thus far since they just came out, but um, I'm 29 inch draw. Okay. Technically 29 and a half, but I shoot 29 inch. Um, and I shoot 70 pounds. What, what would you? I'm a gold tip guy, but you tell me what, what would you put me in an arrow wise? What what how much weight are you gonna run up front? That'd be my first question. I'll probably I probably would shoot I, I right now I shoot hundred well I have been for the last nine years. Uh hundred grain schwackers is what I shoot shoot okay. two and a schwacker, so and there and then the gold tip collar and the right and the, the insert. Yeah. Uh three hundred spine right off the top of my head. Seventy pounds, twenty nine inch draw. I would first thing I'd start you at is is a 300. Um, a 340 may work, but my guess would be you'd be on the weak side. And a lot of times you can't necessarily tell that through paper either. It's when you get those broadheads on there that you start figuring out they're not flying the same. Something's off, you know. Um, so I, I I would 300 spine would be where I'd where I'd start and see how it goes. Cool. Yeah, I, I've been so, uh, I've been shooting the platinum. Um, Pierce, yep, three hundred with the hunt, yeah, with the hundred grain schwacker, and then uh, I use the blazer veins, the two inch. I love blazers. So do I. They're slightly noisy. Okay, a little bit maybe. But I haven't found the single one that shoots better than that with broadheads anyway. I've yeah. tried AEs. I've tried. I mean, I've tried them. I. <laughs> I don't know if you, can, you probably can't see that back there. But yes, Valkyrie's back there. I see. See Valkyrie. You see uh, AEE Max. I, I mean feathers. I mean you name it. That's and that's just shit that I played with this you know past couple months. But Brent, Brent, the owner of Valkyries, is a buddy of mine too. We live pretty close together actually. Um, that's a good. I, and I shot his system this year because I needed that 200 spine. And I couldn't shoot an Eastern Axis. They don't make a 200 spine Eastern Axis. So. Um, and it's actually what I killed my moose with. Uh, and I guess to let the cat out of the bag and get some guys really hating on me, I shot my moose at 91 yards. Yes. 
Um, and I blew completely through the moose, and the arrow was 20 yards behind him, stuck down under the snow in some red willows. Nice. And he ran about maybe 100 yards and bedded down. Um, we gave him 45 minutes. When we walked up, he was stone dead. Awesome. You know, so it, it worked great. But, yeah, I'm probably going to get paid for that. But, again, I'm shooting just so people can understand my specs. Again, this year I'm shooting a 32-inch draw. My bow actually pulls 81 pounds, and I'm shooting a 575-grain Valkyrie arrow at 285 feet per second. Wow, that's huge. So, uh, you know, there's just penetration is not an issue <laughs> generally out of definitely, that. Definitely not. Yeah, you know, you know I, get that, I get that all the time with the long shots, man. I, 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 I definitely didn't invent the long shot by any means because – Fred Bear was doing those 80-yard shots with longbows back in the day. <laughs> Just in, but, um, you know, I, I, back in the day, I was one of very few people that would – I posted videos of me taking shots. shot at antelope at 97 yards and, like, you know, I, and I got a lot, a lot of hate for that stuff. Um, I still do. But just, just like your story you were telling about the moose – I shot in 2016, I shot my bull elk here in Arizona at 83 yards. And my setups, I'm not even, I don't even have what you have. Um, you know, I was shooting 70 pounds. I uh, was shooting, was it my Halon? I think it was a Halon. It was either the Halon or the Halon 32. I cannot remember now. But uh, 70 pounds, I was shooting the Platinum Pierce 300 spine with 2-inch 100-grain uh, tracker laser veins my total green is 426 so it's not a super super heavy arrow it's not a light arrow but it's not a super super heavy arrow and uh yeah i got a pass through you know on yeah. a bullet but uh, you know it'll work and and every situation is different what i can tell you is those moose are so huge at 91 yards i would have swore it was 60 max yeah. like <laughs> I, the guy was giving me a range because I'm like I'm gonna need a range I'm gonna need a range because we actually got caught in the wide open oh sure uh, and he had a, this cow decoy up that he was holding up and he just kept calling behind this cow and there was actually two bulls and they were about 200 some uh, 226 I think out in front of us and what they did is they went out 91 yards I guess and then started coming towards us but out there at like 91 and so when the bull got close to perfectly broadside, I said, I need a range. He said, 91. I dialed my sight to 91. When he got perfectly broadside, I said, stop him. And he did. And I drew back behind the decoy. And as soon as I was anchored in, I said, move the decoy. And he did. Um, and I even shoot a resistance style back tension for hunting. So really? I, have I have target panic issues with a trigger. Okay. And so I force myself to have to walk through the shot. So, you know, I let off my safety and, and had to, you know, sit there with my pin and just pull, pull, pull until it went off. And I don't ever know when it goes off, you know. And so that was just how that worked out. And, you know, it was great. I I was pretty impressed getting a complete pass-through on at 91 yards on a moose. Yeah. Granted, I didn't hit anything real heavy. But still, I was just like, eh, okay. Yep. <laughs> which, uh, which Valkyrie are you shooting, the regular Jaggers or the short Jags? Short Jags. I'm shooting the 180-grain short Jags with the uh, – Stainless outsert. Okay. Or they're stainless. They're stainless. Uh, right. Custom. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. But yeah. I, 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 
I shoot Brent stuff out of my my recurves, out of my traditional, not just my recurve, long bows too. Yeah, that's that's what I shoot right there. Yep. Yeah, those are great. I've tested them some. I just I love the short jags. Yeah, I I brought the short jag with me. Uh, not this past season, but the season before when I was in Oregon, I I tried uh, the short jags and um, it had nothing to do with the arrow. But uh, well, y- yes and no. I went with a really heavy setup, and I and it's because I went hunting with the Angry Spike guys. I'm good friends with Shannon and Corey. And, oh, nice. Uh, I figured you'd know who they were. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. I still believe I, – I shot low. I hit this bull through the brisket. Uh, he's sitting there beating the shit out of this little jack pine. And I, uh, I run up there real quick and I, I get down on my knee because of the canopy. I had to get on there to shoot. I was shooting up uphill at him. And I still don't know to this day if I just dropped my arm or if I picked – I had a split. I remember having to split the pins. And I'm trying to think if I just picked the wrong – combination because i have seven pins in my which never happens to me ever but it i i suppose it could have happened so i'm going to say that i picked the wrong pins it's either that or i see the way the arrow went because i was so excited i was finally going to come which i've seen a lot of people do show up of roosevelt elk that it's it's kind of become my white whale um but um anyway so i hit him low i at first i thought we thought we hit i hit him great I mean, there was blood, blood on the tree that he was raking on. Like, I mean, just spraying everywhere. And we yeah. followed him, him, me and Corey followed him for like a, over a mile. And then it just dried up. There was yeah. like a little speck, little speck, little speck. And we went back, we looked at the video and I was like, shit, I freaking hit him low, low. Like, I mean, maybe that far down from the bottom, you know, or, and I was like, man, but in my head, I'm thinking to myself, if I was shooting my normal setup, my arrow travels that much faster, I don't think my impact would have been that low. You know, with the heavier arrow, I think I would have I would I because if I'm I'm thinking I drop my arm. Now if I picked the wrong pins, I picked the wrong pins, there's no there's no fixing that, you know. But if I drop my arm, I'm I'm thinking that my by 426 grain versus the 554 grains that I was shooting, that 100 grain difference, that speed, I think I would have probably hit them just high enough to catch the bottom of the lungs. So I'm definitely not a physics major. I couldn't <laughs> tell you much about physics, to be honest with you. But there are guys that claim, and I haven't been able to test it because in order to test it, you either take a chance with your chronograph or you <laughs> have special equipment. But there's a lot of guys that claim that the heavier arrows are going to carry their momentum and lose speed or not lose speed as fast as a lighter arrow at longer distances. That is true with really light arrows versus really heavy arrows, but I shoot a medium arrow. So yeah, I and that's, that's kind I, of a world. <laughs> I, yeah. can't, I can't claim that either one's a hundred percent true at least, but you know, and I think that's at longer distances. Like, when you're talking about like a hundred yard shot, because the wind yeah. resistance basically slows up. You shed, you shed, um, you shed momentum or not momentum. Yeah, I guess momentum. You shed faster, and what is yeah. a light arrow because of that? Well, and so going back to the vein thing too, um, 
with the Blazers, man, you know, I have people ask me all the time, and they're like, oh, but they make some noise. I'm like, okay, which would you rather have? Something that makes some noise or something that's been tried and true, you know, at least for what I found. I just haven't found a vein that will do it all as well as the Blazer will do it. I'm with you. You know, but if guys really, really want to start getting kind of a little crazy, look at clocking your arrows. Have you ever done that or heard of that? No, no. Okay. So take a bare shaft, shoot it at like three feet. You know, okay. take a marker or use the little fin that's on the knock and start looking at which way it rotates coming off your bow. Step back a little bit farther, see if it rotates more. See what the natural direction the arrow rotates off your bow is. What you'll find is for most right-handed archers, their arrow is actually going to spin left coming off the bow. Okay. But what's everybody fletch their arrows with? Right-handed helical. Yeah. So if you've got a naturally spinning left, because your veins aren't going to take over right out of the bow. So your arrow is actually naturally spinning left. And so then you've got to correct, or your veins have to correct, that left spin and turn it into a right spin. You're losing energy, number one. Number two, there's a potential for a flight path change in that difference from when you're spinning left to I stop, now I'm going right. Okay. So there's the potential for grouping differences. Now, I can't claim that I've seen, you know, huge improvements in group. Can I claim that I've seen quarter inch, maybe half inch tighter groups? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's say huge. That. I think yeah. that's true. <laughs> but um, there was a change. But the other thing that I started noticing is, um, you know how you shoot an arrow sometimes and you kind of see that flicker about mid-flight like the arrow's doing something funky? Yes. I stopped right. seeing those. Okay. And my personal, I don't have a high-speed camera, my personal opinion is when you see that, what you're seeing is that arrow correct. Right. To switch from spinning left to right for most, um, you know, for most right-handed shooters. Okay. So, you know, there, there's something there to play with. I fletch all of my stuff left helical for me personally okay. um, because that's what I've tested all of my bows so far, and everything comes out naturally spinning left. So I just keep it spinning left. Got it. White, so you I'm know. trying to figure out how, how are you seeing – how are you telling whether it's spinning left or right, though? So if you take the fin or you take your Sharpie, as you okay. shoot into the target, your, your knock is not going to be straight up and down anymore. Right. Which, if there's no rotation, it should be. And this is, I'm sorry, how many feet you do it? Like three feet, and then five feet, and then ten feet. What okay. I found at like five or six feet, I get half a rotation or three quarters of a rotation left. But I double check that by doing multiple distances. So I'll go up closer and see. You know, and say, okay, it's just barely left. Okay, now it's more left. Now it's more left. Now it's Now we're a full rotation. And so you just do those different distances with a marked arrow, like a Sharpie on the end. Or again, most knocks have have a little fin or right. a dimple or something on one side of the knock. And I, I'll, I'll just use that. But okay. it's blocking your arrows to see which way they naturally spin. Interesting. Into a target. I'm just going to play. Are a little harder. Foam are a little easier. Devil's advocate here. Okay. Well, I'm still trying to figure out how you know that it's turning left. Like, because what if it turns a full revolution at three feet? I mean, it, technically, it shouldn't have, it shouldn't turn that fast. But like, because, how do you? Well, without a high speed camera, I guess. I guess, I guess, I can't prove that. 
But okay. any closer than three feet, yeah. You know, I mean, your air, my arrow's thirty inches long, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> there, no, I, get I get it. I get it. There's no, not I, enough room there, I think. Okay. For that to really show. Cool. I'm gonna have to try that. You know. Because I see that all the time. I ha- I I use two pink fletch and a one white fletch, and mm-hmm. I've done that mainly because no men. Very few <laughs> guys use pink fletching, and it's easy for me to tell which my arrows are. But I can see those very well in flight after I've shot. Like mm-hmm. I can see the flight of the arrow very well with that with those colors. Um, but I I'd love to see with that. But because of that, I can see that little hitch that you're talking about. Yeah, there was a guy that claimed he did a study with high speed cameras, and Blazers actually corrected it the fastest. Okay. Out of any other veins he tried, or any other combos he tried, um, and I think he said that Blazers would correct it at like nine yards. Nice. Somewhere right in there. Uh, but again, it's just my theory on what you're seeing when that happens. I just know with my left fletch, I don't see that anymore. And the other part to it is now compound that by putting a broadhead on. So not only are your veins trying to correct an arrow. But when you put a fixed blade broadhead on, it has some force to it too. Yeah. So now if, and of course there's most of them don't have a helical to them. So if you take, let's just take an iron wheel, great shooting broadhead, love it. But that arrow comes out spinning left, your broadhead's spinning left, and now those veins have got to correct that spin. And not only are they trying to fight the arrow, but they're trying to fight that extra surface area of the fixed blade broadhead. So that correction can take even longer. So when guys start talking about potentially the broadheads not shooting the same as their field points, some of that can be the arrow's not correcting as fast as it used to for whatever correction there needed to be. Gotcha. So just something to think about. You know, Tim Gillingham, as a matter of fact, I got that clocking thing from Tim Gillingham. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't hadn't heard of it before, but... Now that you say it, I feel like he mentioned it once. So I've had Tim's been on my show like ten times. Yeah, um, he doesn't like heavy arrows. That's where him and I would disagree. <laughs> I hate heavy arrows, I, and I, I'm not a big, big heavy heavy arrow guy. I'd rather have I'd rather have speed. I'm a medium guy. I like I'm I'm always that's me. I'm I'm freaking Switzerland with everything. I'm very neutral. You know I like. I like the best of all worlds. I like to have the speed, but I also like to have a little punch. Um, my my favorite flying arrow, well, favorite flying weight and, and setup I had was right about that 440 range. Mm-hmm. But for Fast. some reason. Do you remember? Um, I want to say it was at 289 or 290, like right there. So here's what I tell people. Especially for elk. Yep. 450 is about my starting point. Okay. 450 grain arrow. If you can get a 450 grain arrow that's going to do somewhere between 270, which is slower than a lot of guys want to go, right. and max 295. Yep. I'm with you on the 295 then, thing. Then, then you're good. But really, that two, 290 to 285 seems to be about the sweet spot for speed and weight. Now, that's going to vary. So let's take. We'll take my two sons, for example. So my 17-year-old son has a 30-and-a-half-inch draw, shoots 80 pounds, okay? He's shooting my old RX-1, and he was shooting a 609-grain arrow 
at like 277 because his draw length shorter mine. I was shooting that six that same 609 grain arrow out of my RX1 Ultra. Okay. At 288 or something like that. It was somewhere way up there. The RX1 Ultra actually shot shoots faster than my RX3 does with a you know, a little bit heavier arrow. So, okay. um, now take my 15 year old son. He shoots 62 pounds, has a 25 and a half inch draw. He shoots a 485 grain arrow. Wow. Because he's never going to be fast. Right. At 60 pounds, 20, he's never going to have speed. So I treat him more like a traditional archer. So he's like 22% FOC, 485 grain arrow, you know, and he pounds through stuff. So w- would you treat uh, women the same then? You know, given it, you, it, it shoots lower poundage and have a shorter draw length? Anybody that has a shorter draw length that shoots lower poundage, uh-huh. um, I'm going to treat more like a traditional archer. So there's actually some articles out there where they talk about, you know, if you can only shoot 50 pounds, you should be up somewhere around 10 grains per, per pound. See, I... And I think this came out about when talking with Tim. My wife's set up. You know what? I think I got it written on the arrow. I'm going to grab it real quick. <laughs> All right. Sorry, guys. I'm back. Um, oh, no. That's just a FOC mark. Yeah. I don't uh, I don't remember what it was. But this thing is it's super stiff, like way stiffer. Yeah, but it's only a it's only a 400 it's a 400 spine arrow, but it's super short. My wife's like Mm -hmm. 23 inches or something like that, 24 inch draw. But I got 25% FOC. That's the FOC mark right there. (laughs) Nice. And it's only 100 grains up front though. You know, it's a standard gold tip. uh, What do you call it? uh, Collar and so it's 100. What is that? too much math for me to do in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, so my son, he shoots an Axis 400. That's great. She, oh, does he? Okay, Axis 400. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so he's shooting an Axis 400, um, and I even cut it a little long for him to have room to grow. Um, so I normally tell people, like, take your draw length. If your draw length is 30 inches, you can cut your, your arrows carbon to carbon at, you know, 29 and a half. Okay. And that gets you right to the end of the riser normally. So that broadhead's kind of out just in front of your fingers a little bit. But, yeah, so his I cut long. But he has 50-grain brass up front. He's got my footer on there. And he shoots 150-grain uh, iron well. Nice. So, And that's the other thing with, with those lower poundage, short draw length, you know, a good cut on contact head. And I know we're getting way off where we started with the bow tuning and stuff, but <laughs> like I said at the beginning, it doesn't matter where this where it goes. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> so it's anyway, awesome. you know, talking about traditional setup a little bit, um, you say I. It's funny I shoot full length arrows. I don't okay. I don't cut them. I have I shoot four hundred. Uh, uh, which ones do I shoot? The Hunter XTs? I don't remember now. No, oh, no. I shoot. I'm sorry. I, I was shooting the Hunter XTs. I switched to the Platinum Pierce, and I'm shooting 400s. And I got Brent set up on there. I uh, shoot 200 and uh, the 220 grain 
uh, Jaggers. And with just a standard um, aluminum outsert, not the uh, – and I shoot a full-length arrow, and, the, and, I, and I found – it's mainly for e- aiming reasons. When I shoot the full-length arrow, I'm point on, like at 20 yards. I don't have to mess with anything. Yeah. Um, and I shoot a four-inch feather. That's what a – yeah, four-inch feather with a heavy yoke on it. But now that you're talking about this clocking thing, I want to check. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Traditional bows may be a little different than that. But, you know, it's just one of those things, again, just getting a little more efficiency out of your bow and your setup. You know, that's really – and that's kind of where all this runs down to is what is your, uh, your, you know, your lethality? Like, I mean, are, you know, how structurally sound is everything? How well is it? Is it, is it hitting the target square on? Is it driving through – with some FOC rather than being pushed from the back, is it going to bend? Because literally you start looking at, you don't even have to look at the Ashby stuff. Ashby doesn't matter, but just look at physics in general. If you impact something hard and your arrow is really, you know, moving rather than driving through it, you're losing energy. It's just like having a sharp broadhead. If your broadhead's not sharp, it's gonna have a tougher time. You're losing penetration. As soon as anything starts breaking down on the arrow, you're losing penetration. And that's why I'm so big on structural integrity, everything being square, everything coming off the bow square, you know, and literally using a level on almost everything to check all that to start and, you know, kind of going from there. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you've got to shoot a tough setup. That's why, like, so even though I have a shop, the I'm a I am a Black Eagle dealer. You know, and I like the Black Eagle stuff. Um, but when it comes to if somebody was to say, build me the most durable, best arrow you can, what am I going to build them? I'm going to give them an Easton Axis match grade arrow that's cut from both ends if needed, completely square with a footer on it. And what I would say is good luck finding a tougher arrow. And if you do, tell me because I'll start selling that. <laughs> you know, I'm set up through different wholesalers so I can buy just about any arrow on the market. And so I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be pushing the Eastern axis, especially not as a dealer, uh-huh. you know, if, if I didn't really believe they were, you know, for the money, for what you're getting, they, they're just so hard to beat. It's just, you know, you really think, you think you believe the, uh, the axis is a tougher arrow than the, than the gold tip. Yep, I'll say that right now. And I've seen the test. I don't care about, I'm, I'm not, no, not your test. Not your test, but I get guys all the time. Well, have you watched the video from the ATA? Yeah, I've oh. seen the video. Okay, that's great. And it, yeah. Yeah. Now let's go real world, real world, and let's start doing some deflection tests in real world. Let's start hitting something solid and see which one survives. Um, part of that was verified not by even myself, but if you watch, you know who Garrett Weaver is? Yes. On Point Podcast yep. and the Born and Raised guys. I'm sure you've heard about the Born and Raised guys. Uh, so they did their own destruction tests with a bunch of different arrows and everything. Okay. And um, the Born and Raised guys are sponsored by Day6. At least they were. I'm assuming they still are. Right. And at the end of the day, the only arrow that survived every test was the Eastern Axis Garrett was shooting with a footer on it. All the deflection tests, everything. Well, it didn't it break. Was it because of the footer or was it because of the arrow? Well, uh, okay. I'm going to say it's both. It didn't break because of the footer on the deflection test. 
I think partially because that footer doesn't allow that field tip to start bending. Doesn't right. allow it to move to break out. You take in, you take an eastern axis without a footer, and I'll tell you right now, it's half the arrow that it should be. You know, and you can't even use the little collars that they sell on them and stuff. You've got to cover that half inch plus some onto the, and that's why three quarters is the shortest we make, because right. you've got to get over that hit insert some. Um, but it starts with that because if you think about that, you get an impact. And your field tip starts bending and starts breaking out the arrow. It also makes the arrow start entering at a different angle. So when that can't all hold together, you know, it, it, it'll break. Um, so to be fair, I guess, is a gold tip maybe stronger? Maybe I haven't tried one with a hit insert and, and a footer on it. You this, know? Is what do. this is what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to build that now. And you're going to help me because you're going to get me okay. some footers. I got, I got Black Eagle. Okay. Arrow. I could pick up some axis I don't have. I haven't shot axis. I can send you an axis arrow to test. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's do that. I want to do that. I want to check it out because, I mean, listen, I've been shooting gold for a long freaking time. I've never had an arrow fail. Anyway, I've never had an arrow fail on me. I don't, I don't shoot at block walls anyway, but, <laughs> you know, have I had arrows break after hitting an animal? Yeah. But the animal was dead anyway, so I didn't give a shit. Yeah. So that was my that was my t- you know my take on it. Did I have an arrow break inside an animal? Yes, I have. Uh, not often, but it's happened. Um, you know, I-, I I'm just curious. I'm this is not this this is me not being argumentative, but anyway, I no. I yes I'm uh I'm sponsored by Gold Tip, but they don't they don't pay me to uh. You know, they know how I am. Basically, yeah. I, I I'm only going to use what I feel is the best. And if something else comes up that I feel is better, you know, I I I agree. I, I haven't been in love with this this collar. I actually talked talk to Tim about it, and he and and I think they're going to do something about it. Hopefully, yeah. um, but you know, and having co- a lot of conversations with Brent as well. You know about how why he has the center pin and this and that. You know, I'm curious to see. I'd like to put them all next to ah. each other, shoot them into freaking steel wall or something, and see what happens. Do, do me a, do me a favor. Ask uh, Brent. Uh huh. If he wasn't using his system, what he would use. He'll tell you flat out it'd be an ax, Eastern Axis arrow with a footer on it. Okay. Yeah. He'll. It, I mean, everybody. Every time I've talked to him, and he's told people that. I think he did tell me that. Yeah. You know. If he didn't have his center pin system, and part of his system came from he was doing eastern axis arrows with a footer on it. Right. Yep. Yep. He's a, he's the first person that told told me about footers a couple years ago when I talked to him about it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so you know, but again, I'm okay. Could I be wrong? Absolutely, because I haven't done all those tests. But what I do know is when I've done hard stop tests, like you hit bone, right? Mm-hmm. I've shot a lot of bone. I even have a YouTube video up. I did 29 broadheads in one day that I tested them, and I some of the tests. As I, as I do tests, I start learning what's wrong with the test, right? right? So I did this long range test where I was shooting them, and then I did this ballistics gel test, which, to be honest, the ballistics gel test is worthless if you really want my opinion. It's yeah. just, it, it's dumb. Like, and we could get into that whole conversation. But when I started shooting fresh, I went to the butcher. I, I know a butcher here locally, and I got like seven or eight boxes of fresh. 
Calvin's. No, did I put a micrometer on them? Did I check all this stuff that you could check to make sure it was a perfectly even test? No. Did some of them impact a little different the cost? Yeah, I get all that. So, you know, guys bring that up. This isn't a valid. Okay, shut up. Like, <laughs> I know all your reasons why it's not a valid test. It was a fun test I did for myself. But when you start getting those hard stops, when arrows start to break down, you get less penetration. And it's just what it is. So that's why I like those hard stop tests. Um, up at the Northwest Mountain Challenge here in Oregon, which is a 3D shoot that's kind of like the total archery challenge, just on a smaller scale. Um, I had a booth up there, but I had two people bring me their arrows that they had shot the steel target and hit the steel part. And their field tips were bent or smashed in, Right. spun them off, the arrow still spun perfect, put a new field tip on it, and on they went. Nice. So it's just, you know, maybe a gold tip with a footer, but it's kind of those deflection tests too, like what's going to start breaking out of that end? You know, I, one of my one of my gripes with gold tip is that little nine grain collar they have on there for how long it is. It feels like it's just really light tin, like it's really not doing a whole lot. I mean, that's just me being honest with how I felt with the gold tip stuff with that collar. It's like right. that's really not structurally sound. It's really not doing much of anything. I agree. So I anyway, agree. but yeah, I, test it out. I, I mean, just, I'll get you footers. I'd like to see if it's the components or if it's the arrow itself, though. That's where that's where I'm that's where I'm getting at. I feel like. I've, well, I haven't tested an axis in a while, so I don't know if they changed their formula or not, but I yeah, feel. You do that Ben test, and I agree, that test they do at the ATA show, you know, with the press and stuff, gold tip seems to beat everybody when it comes to that. And I used to shoot gold tip for a long time, um, right. and I went away from axis arrows, but I've always tended to come back because it's just what works. And they're just tough. Have I broken axis on animals? Yeah, I've had animals fall on them as they're sticking out and break them. Like, they're not indestructible. But again, I don't care what happens to the arrow after it's yeah. made it into the animal. I don't care. If it breaks, it breaks. If I lose it, whatever. That It's a disposable thing. What I care about is if I hit something bad that I shouldn't have hit or didn't want to hit, does my arrow survive so that I know that it's gotten its max penetration? Right. You know? Um and there are certain arrows that are known, known to be more brittle than others, you know, and that's part of it goes down to look at the grain per inch. Anytime you can lower the grain per inch and still have a 300 spine. It's got to be brittle. Well, it's, it's just the wall thickness isn't going to be the same. It is it's just what it is. But how the carbon's put together also matters, I believe, as well. So there's there's kind of all those different aspects to it. True. Uh, you know, part of it, too, is price. I mean, like I sell the, the Eastern Axis match grade arrows. Um for map pricing. So the raw shafts, I think they just raised it to like 129.99 is map pricing on those that, that that Easton allows you to sell at and I still have to sell at that. But you're getting a dozen match grade arrows. Right. For that price. You know, it's just that's a, it's a great price for an arrow that literally when we spin them probably and there's going to be run out. Everybody's got to understand that straightness isn't for all 32 inches of that arrow. There's run out. It's for like the center 28 inches of it or so. Um, but we may have to cut three arrows from the knock end out of a dozen. Nice. You know, so cool. that's kind of why I've stuck to those. I got a couple of things I need to try out and mess around with. <laughs> self done. Yeah, so. uh, you might find the gold tips are better, but you may find too if you start using like a hit insert with them and a footer on them. Right. That they might be even 
tougher. And I have a lot, I have guys that order them for every era. Guys, this is not just for Eastern Axis. I get orders all the time for Black Eagles and everything else. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. Well, awesome, man. I want to thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. It was uh, definitely an interesting conversation. A lot of information out there for guys to kind of think about their setups and think about how they're doing things and who they're letting work on their bows. Um, so I appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know, we'll talk to you soon. I'll keep in touch with you. I want to, I want to, I want to go down this rabbit hole a little bit and figure it out. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Look at a couple things. Look at that clocking, you know, and then test some arrows out and see what happens. So awesome. thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. All right. Bye. Thanks.